My name is Greg Amerson. For those of you that don't know me, uh, I was born and raised in Arkansas. That's where I met my wife, Deborah, there in college. And we've been married at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, and we've been married uh, for 20 years. We moved here right after we graduated in 2003. Uh, we have four children, Keenan, who's 16, Brady, who turned 15 today. Actually, this is his birthday, but you can't wish him happy birthday. He's actually at another conflicting, uh, uh, he's in a theater in a play today. And originally I wasn't going to preach on the 20th. It was going to be last month, but, um, so you can't say happy birthday to him today. Uh, Piper is 11 and Evelyn, our newest baby is actually 22 months old. And yes, that's quite a spread. And I tell people all the time, it's like we're having our own grandchild, uh, with Evelyn. Um, it's been great. Um, and another good part about that is that I have a whole nother child to retell all of my favorite stories to, because my children have grown tired of hearing them. Um, in 2010, I joined a company uh, based in Southern California, working remotely. And then in 2011, my family and I moved to China to work there and to do business as missions. And when our time in China was drawn to a close, Lawrence, Lawrence Lee, uh, who I worked with in China, he told me about a new church plant that was starting up in Plano Allen area. So in the fall of 2015, they were starting, and he said, you sh I should check it out. And so we did. We met up with Tricia and Eric, and they told us about their plans for Zoe, and it was a huge answer to prayer in our life. It was the perfect transition for our family as we were coming back from overseas. Before I continue and, and begin in today's sermon, I, I, I want to say thanks to many of you that have been praying for me. You've been giving me a lot of encouraging words these last few weeks, and I'm, I'm very humbled to be up here uh, giving you today's sermon. I, I don't feel adequate or equal to the task preaching any sermon, much, much less one in front of this congregation, many of you who are smarter and wiser than me. But I take solace in a couple of things. One is that you'll, I know you'll be a gracious audience, and you, like you said, you've already encouraged me in so many ways. And, and two, uh, you know, as James prayed that, I pray the Spirit will be speaking through today's Scripture, and it won't really be me. So, as Jesse said, our Scripture for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, if you can turn there. Sorry to disappoint you if you thought maybe we would be picking up in 2 Samuel and finishing the story of the cliffhanger Jesse left us on two weeks ago of the impending battle between Absalom and, and David. And actually, next week, since it's our Thanksgiving service. And the week after that, we start our Advent series. Uh, I'm afraid you're going to be kept waiting on that cliff a little while longer. Um, but if you really know what happens, you can pick up your Bible tonight and read 2 Samuel and get the rest of the story. Today we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Please follow along as I read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You are great and You are merciful and, and we praise You today for who You are. Thank You, Lord. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for sending us your Son, your only begotten Son. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us what the Father is like. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us the love that we can love both Father and Son. Our merciful Father, please comfort us today. Comfort us, your people. Please speak to us tenderly and speak peace to us. And Lord, we pray for a double cure for our souls, both pardoning of sin and, and sanctifying us, Lord. Please do that with your word that we will study today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> what is the worst thing that has ever happened to you? I know for many of you that, that question may bring back painful memories. Maybe it's something you've tried to forget. Maybe that worst thing is something you're going through right now. Maybe you feel like you just can't catch a break. Like when it rains, it pours. Vanitha Risner certainly knows how you feel. Vanitha was born in India to Christian parents who were missionaries there. And as an infant, she contracted polio, which at the time had been virtually eradicated in that part of India, but she still got it. And due to a doctor's misdiagnosis, she was not properly treated for her illness. And within a day of getting the disease, she was paralyzed. Her family moved to London to seek more medical care. And beginning when she was two years old and all the way up until she was 13, she underwent 21 surgeries to try to fix her legs so that she could just walk. Through a long, drawn-out process, living in and out of hospitals most of her childhood, she did eventually gain the ability to walk, but it was with a very pronounced limp. Then, when she was in high school, because of her numerous scars that were still visible on her legs and her odd gait, she received no small amount of bullying. Her life was a life of pain, and she had many reasons to be bitter. And even though she had questions about how could a good God let all of this happen, she did place her faith in Christ, and she committed her life to Him. Then, as a young adult, she was diagnosed with a new disease. This is called post-polio syndrome. With post-polio, she would have increasing bouts of pain and new weakness in her extremities, so weak and painful that one day it could lead to quadriplegia. And what's especially cruel about this disease is that the more energy Vanitha would spend to try to stay active and be otherwise healthy, it would actually drain her reserve strength. The more she, that she would do, it would make her condition worse. Can you imagine that situation? What a catch-22. She describes it like a bank account that starts with a fixed amount and you can only make withdrawals, never deposits. The more energy she would use in the present to try to get better, the less she would have for the future. After college, Vanitha got married and she had a daughter. And while she was trying for a second child, she experienced three straight miscarriages. Eventually, she would be blessed with a baby boy. She named him Paul. He was born with a heart condition, and he was doing well with treatments. However, when he was two months old, due to another doctor's mistake, he suddenly died. Vanitha not only had to bury her son, she had to bury all of the dreams that she had for him and their family, and dreams of a childhood for him that she never got to have. Even though Vanitha knew the truth of Scripture, she found it really hard to accept that his short life could somehow glorify God. And then, on top of all of these challenges, her marriage fell apart and her husband left them for another woman. Vanitha had experienced so many things in her life up to this point, it was hard to say 
how she would answer that question of what is the worst thing that's ever happened to her. How do you make sense of suffering in the Christian life? Have you thought much about this question? Surely you have. I think we all have at some level. And if you're young and you haven't thought much about suffering in your life and how to make sense of it, just wait. That question will come in your own life. Here's the short answer. God will comfort you in the midst of your suffering in Christ with a comfort greater than any affliction you will ever face. In today's passage, Paul shows us that in his opening verses of his letter to the Corinthians. If anyone in the New Testament wrestled with the question of how to make sense of suffering, it was Paul, especially in regards to the situation of the Corinthian church. So just some background. Um, the city of Corinth, which is the, the, the people that Paul's writing the letter to, is located in southern Greece, and it's in the middle of a land bridge that connects it to the lower peninsula. This made the city of Corinth a natural host for trade and commerce, as well as a hub for Greek culture. The city had an acropolis, and it was home to the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. So the city had no shortage of idol worship or immorality. And, and of course, naturally, Paul, Paul thought this would be a great place to try to go and share the gospel and plant a church. During his second missionary journey, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth planning the church. Spending that much time with them, having invested so much emotionally and spiritually, it was, it's easy to see why Paul gets so distraught when he hears reports of their sinfulness. So he writes them a letter of warning and he calls them to repentance. This is our letter in 1 Corinthians that we have in our Bible. If we move forward past 1 Corinthians, we see that many in the congregation responded to Paul's severe and tough letters. But there were some in the church that remained unrepentant. While in Macedonia, Paul also received new reports of a new problem. There were false teachers that were attacking the church and they were attacking the church, attacking the truth of the gospel, and they were impugning Paul's character. They said Paul was not a true apostle because he lacked integrity. He was immoral. He was stealing from the church. He was not to be trusted. And and most of all, more important to, to today's verses, is that he claimed that Paul's suffering was actually evidence that God was punishing him. His reason for his affliction was because he's a bad guy and you shouldn't trust him. So Paul decides to write another letter. That's our 2 Corinthians. One of his main goals in this letter is to defend against the charge that his sufferings somehow disqualify him for apostleship. So we see in the letter, Paul starts out giving thanks to God at the beginning. He gives thanks to God for comforting him in the midst of his suffering. Here, he is exhorting the Corinthians, give thanks you Corinthians, for my suffering, for Paul's suffering, because God is comforting him, not condemning him. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this verse, makes this point. Paul does not shirk from his sufferings, but rather he uses them to show the outpouring of God's comfort towards him as a supreme affirmation of his ministry and authority. Paul begins this letter with his standard greeting, verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, he departs from his usual introduction. And here Paul starts with a blessing to God for the comfort that he has received from God. 
he is inviting the Corinthians to praise God for the sufferings of all of Christ's servants, but especially him. He's asking them, are you really going to decide? Are you really going to be on the side of my attackers? Are you going to persecute me? Or are you going to be on the side of God who is actually comforting me? Paul continues the blessing to God for comforting him, starting in verse 3, which is where we'll begin our study, and goes all the way, actually, through verse 11. Today, we'll only be covering the first three verses of that blessing. We will cover this passage of on comfort in three points. The source of comfort, the solidarity of comfort, and finally, the sharing of comfort. First, the source of comfort. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul begins this verse with blessed be, or your translation may say blessed is. He could have just stopped and said blessed is God. But Paul continues to describe God here who is being glorified by listing some of his identifying attributes. Here, he lays out those attributes in a series of three statements. These progressive statements help identify who God is and describe what he is like. Then Paul further expounds upon these descriptions about God throughout the rest of the introduction. The first statement in verse 3 says, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase is following the standard Jewish liturgical formula of blessing. Paul uses this same blessing to open many of his epistles that you may be familiar with. In the Old Testament, the phrase might have been something like this. The God, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now we Christians, we identify God as this. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This qualification is paramount. You can only know this God if you know him as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Ephesians 2 Verse 18 says, For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The Holy Spirit does this work in us. Let me say this again. You can only truly know God if you know him as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The next statement from verse 3, he describes him as the Father of mercies. Here Paul is painting a picture of God coming to him in his afflictions to comfort him, not to punish him for wrongdoing as his opponents were asserting. God is being merciful to Paul, not disciplining disciplining him for sin. Paul again here is reusing a Jewish formula for describing God as our merciful father. He is praising God as the source of all mercy. The last statement in this verse says, and God of all comfort. Here, in this last part of the progression, we are introduced to the main theme of our verses today. Comfort. We see this word comfort show up six times in just three verses. 
when you hear that word, comfort. You may think of resting on a couch, reading your favorite book, eating your favorite foods. Maybe it's putting on a new pair of socks. Um, But Paul here, he describes God as the God of all comfort. Meaning, what he means is God is the source of comfort itself. What is your source of comfort? Is your source reliable? Do you turn to God in prayer when you need comfort? What are some other places that you may be seeking other sources of comfort? Maybe that's your money as a source of comfort. Maybe your health is your source. Maybe it's your pets, right? Pets can be, can bring us comfort, but are they a good source of comfort? Maybe it's your theological positions. That's your source of comfort. I'm not saying these are bad. I'm just saying that can they be the reliable, true source of comfort that we need? Certainly some people can go to social media as a source of comfort or entertainment. Maybe it's just a familiar routine. But And these things may provide momentary comfort, but are they reliable sources of comfort? Any real and lasting comfort comes from God. The further you get away from the source, the further you get away from any real comfort. You must know the source. We must think about the source of all our comfort, which is God. As Paul says, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you know, can knowing the source of something really make a difference in how you relate to that thing? A few years, a few years ago, I really got into drinking flavored soda. Um, I drink it almost every day and with every meal. I even bought one of those make your own soda stream, you know, make your own uh, flavored soda at home where you can add the different flavors. One time I was over at a friend's house and, and he asked me uh, what I wanted to drink. And I asked him if he had some, some soda water. He said, sure. He reached into his fridge and he gave me one of his that he always buys. And it was in a glass jar, which I thought, that's pretty cool. And then I noticed on the label as he handed it to me, it said, bottled at source. Bottled at the source. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Here's a company whose entire marketing strategy for this product is to say that your enjoyment of this thing hinges on the fact that where it was where the source of the water was they're hoping that your knowledge of where this water was water was bottled some remote mountain spring at some place will make a difference in your enjoyment of that product so i drank some and i remember thinking yeah this is nice knowing where this comes from does make it taste better it did have an impact on me and so the next time i went to the store i thought let me look for that bottled water that's bottled that spring sparkling water that was bottled at the source and then I looked at the price and I said um okay I'll buy some but I'll save it for a special occasion (laughs) Paul is urging the Corinthians to consider the source of all our comfort in any affliction he's pointing to God as the source of all mercy and all comfort in second Thessalonians Paul again points to God as the source of our eternal comfort second Thessalonians Chapter 2, starting in verse 16, he says, now may, the Lord our, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. God never promises us a comfortable life, 
But He does promise to come to us in our time of distress, to comfort us in our time of need. Actually, our English word comfort, it comes from the Latin root, which con forte, or the root fortis, which means courage or fortitude. God will give us fortitude. He'll give us courage to face suffering in life or even in death. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that is being used to comfort us. That is the source. Romans 8.38 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Afflictions, they come from many sources. But real and lasting comfort in any affliction can only come from God alone. This is God's promise from Scripture. He does not promise to remove afflictions, but He does promise that He will provide comfort and courage in the midst of them. The promise of knowing God as the source is itself a source of comfort. Let me say that again. The promise of knowing God as the source is itself a source of comfort. So if God is the source of all comfort, the next verse shows us the solidarity of comfort. Verse 4 says this, Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 4 starts with who, that's referring to the God of all comfort from the previous verse. Then it zooms in on the act of comforting. Then it gives us the purpose and the manner of comfort. As I said, comfort shows up here many times, so let's define it. In Greek, there's actually two words translated comfort here in our English translation. The two words are, the first is the verb form in Greek, parakaleo, which means to call to one side, to call upon in order to entreat or instruct. The second form of the Greek word for comfort is the noun form, parakalesis, which means encouragement or consolation. In the first part of the verse, notice who's doing the comforting. God is, parakaleo. The, next, the, the text then tells us where or to what extent is that comfort. To what extent is that action that God is performing? It says it is in all our affliction. Paul knows this firsthand. He can testify to this. Bear with me as I give you just a quick summary of Paul's afflictions that he has in mind when he writes this verse. Paul doesn't idly write that verse that in all affliction. Let me give you just an idea. All from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4 says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 says this, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without, fear within. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he continues, 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. Paul knew what it was like to not be able to sleep. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. Paul knows the type of pressure, this, these types of pressures, both from external factors and like his accusers, and from the internal pressure, the anguish Paul felt for the Corinthians. Have you ever thought about this? Paul could have settled down in any number of one of the churches he planted. They, one, one of the churches that would treat him good, given him a stable life, a stable income. Instead, he endured these sufferings. And he set his life up in a way that the only comfort that he could be provided would be a, the comfort that God gives. So let's look again in verse 4. What is the purpose of all this comfort from God? Verse 4 says, God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Any time in one of Paul's letters or anywhere else in the New Testament for that matter, if you see a so that, it means, and here is the purpose. Let's look at that verse again. God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort others. That is God's purpose for comforting. Just as we share in the sufferings and comfort with Christ, we are to share our sufferings and comfort with one another. Paul says we are able to comfort in any affliction, not just the affliction that maybe we have felt, any affliction. This implies that God will oversupply you with comfort during your specific affliction so that you'll have some leftovers. You will be able to use that comfort to comfort others in their affliction that may be worse or look different than yours. Okay, so if God's purpose for comfort is that we would comfort others, what form or manner should that comfort take? The end of verse 4 tells us, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Note here, we are the messengers of God's comfort. We are the manner in which God will comfort others. Also, the manner in which we will comfort others is not based on our own strength. It's based on the strength God supplies. We set our hope on Christ. We entreat others, parakaleo in Greek, to come alongside, to encourage others to have the same hope that we have. In a show of solidarity, we use our own experience of suffering to strengthen others. When I was a teenager, uh, one of the chores I most disliked was mowing my yard, mowing our family's yard. And you have to know, our, hill, our, our yard where I grew up in Arkansas was really hilly, very rocky. We lived in the Washita Mountains, and literally quartz crystals would grow up out of the ground like weeds. It was really hard to mow. Anyway, I would complain and 
when my dad would tell me, hey, son, it's time to mow the yard again. And I would just come up with some excuse to say, why do I need to mow this anyway? It's just rocks. And he would always listen and patiently enumerate all the reasons why it was good for me to do this. I never really understood all the reasons. Uh, and also, I didn't understand the reason why that once I would start doing the chore, he would always be somewhere nearby. And I thought, not just with mowing, but with any of the chores he would give me. I always thought, if you're going to just stand there, why don't you help out? Why don't you do part of the chore? Why don't you just do it? Um, I thought maybe he thought I, just, he, I was afraid I was going to break the mower or something. But no, he had a purpose though. And it wasn't until I had my own sons that I was the one now assigning the chores that I understand fully what my dad was doing. So when I give my, my sons chores, I too must listen to their complaints. And I too will bring out those same reasons, the same reasons why I talk that my dad gave me. I look back now and I realize that it wasn't mainly about that the lawn needed to be mowed. It was about my character. And it was about knowing the value of hard work. So, and also when I would do those chores, he would come alongside, partly to make sure I wasn't breaking something, but also to show the, a show of solidarity with my efforts. In a similar way, it's not until we comfort others that our comfort from God can be fully recognized as comfort. One commentator on verse 4 makes this point. God's comfort is not an end. It is a means to an end. God's comfort is not to terminate on the one that receives it. Rather, we are to bend that comfort out that we receive from God towards others to comfort them in their afflictions. How can we do this practically? First, we must know one another well. We must know how the people around us are suffering. Church, do, do you know each other? Do you know what the trials of the people sitting next to you are facing? I encourage you, if you're not, to get into a community group and to listen to others. They will share with you their trials. And you can open up and yourself share. Romans 12 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It is for your comfort, church. Okay, then what are we to comfort others with? A home-cooked meal? That's a great thing. But a meal is just a human comfort. Instead, we are instructed to give God's comfort. If you bring someone a meal, what are you doing? You're drawing near. You're coming alongside them. Remember back to the Greek verb for comfort, parakaleo, to call to one side, to summon. That is how you show comfort. You draw near to someone in the time of need. You make time for that brother or sister to let them share their burdens with you, to really listen to them. I'm encouraged because I know this is happening in our church. I know that in community group, uh, we are able to share with one another and then burdens are able to be shared. Meals are able to be brought. Um, I'm greatly encouraged by how people serve each other in this church. And I, I encourage you to get a part of, get a part of a community group. Join the prayer meeting. Um, it's, it, it is for your comfort. John Henry Jowett is quoted to have said this. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comfortors. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. Christian brother or sister, if you're going through a trial, 
do not neglect, do not neglect to allow comfort to come from others. Listen to other people's testimonies. Listen to them about how God was faithful to them in their trial. This is crucial for your own comfort. This tells, this verse tells us the way in which God will comfort you. You are to witness the consolation of others during their trial. And also, don't wait until you are all better before you begin to use your suffering to comfort others. Receiving comfort from someone who is currently suffering can be even more comforting. You experience that solidarity of comfort as you both, amidst your trials, share in the same hope, the hope that God is the source of your comfort in Christ. From the solidarity of comfort, let's now turn to the final point, the sharing of comfort. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The first word in this verse is for, or because, you could translate it. Paul is giving us the reason or the supporting proposition in verse 5 of the idea that he presented in verse 4. In this supporting verse, there are two statements with a parallel structure. As we share in fill in the blank, so we share in fill in the blank. As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so we also share abundantly in Christ's comfort. The original Greek word here carries the idea of a business account or a ledger. Let's read the same verse from the New English translation. I think it helps us see the idea a little better. Verse 5 says in the, in the Net Bible, For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow towards us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows to you. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow towards us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows to you. So if we continue with the bank analogy that I used earlier, if you are a business and you want to keep a good track or an accurate picture of how the money is flowing through your business, you'll use something called, you use a method called a double entry accounting. Now, I'm not a CPA, but, but I, I did run this example by a CPA uh, that I'm related to. Um, and so you could think of it like this. Well, first let me give you the de definition of double entry accounting. It says, with every method, with this method, every financial transaction has equal and opposite effects in at least two different accounts. One is a debit and then one is a credit. So imagine you're a business and you have 10 trucks and you want to go buy an, another truck. So I need to pay for that. I need to spend some money. And I need to record that, that I spent that money. But if I just have one entry, it just looks like we just lost, what do trucks cost now? $100,000, $50,000. I just lost $50,000 in, in my business. Well, that's not good. We don't want to lose money. Well, that's why I need a second entry that says, no, I actually, I had 10 trucks. Now I need an 11th. Uh, now I have 11 trucks. So that way it, it, it stays in balance. Okay, I, I think you can get the idea. You have two entries in two different ledgers so that things can stay in balance. Paul means in this verse that whatever level, whatever level we suffer in our Christian walk in obedience to Christ, God's comfort will extend to that same level. Things will stay in balance. And even more, 
there will be an abundance, an overflow, as the Net Bible says. We will have the leftovers to share with others for their own comfort. Let's go back to verse 5 and let's look at one side of that equation. It says the sufferings of Christ. And on the other side, we have comfort through Christ. For us to be able to apply this to our life, I think it's helpful if we can understand what Paul precisely means by the sufferings of Christ. The Greek grammar used leaves a little room for debate. One commenter lays out the possible views. Does Paul mean the sufferings on account of Christ? Or does he mean the sufferings ordained by Christ for us? Or does it mean the sufferings Christ himself endured? Let's see if Paul can help us understand what he was talking about. Let's look chapter 4 verse of 2 Corinthians, verses 10 through 12. There it says, chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. There is a symbolic link between Christ and his followers regarding the actual sufferings experienced by Christ. This view that the sufferings of Christ are the ones Christ himself endured is the strongest view based on the textual evidence. Paul views his sufferings as linked to the sufferings that Jesus experienced in the flesh. Similarly, in baptism, Christian baptism, we are symbolically linked to Christ in his death. Romans 6, verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We don't actually die a Christ's physical death in our body, but symbolically, In spirit, we we do. As Christians who are placed in Christ in his sufferings, we also experience in Christ his comfort. This points to a marvelous pattern that we, we see all over the Bible. This is you could the strange economy of God's grace. Strength from weakness, wisdom from foolishness, and comfort from sufferings. But when When will our comfort come? Is it now? Or do I have to wait? You may be in a lot of pain right now. You may be suffering. How long must you wait? I know that some of you are in the midst of trial right now. I know that. Multiple miscarriages. You've lost a job. Your current job is dead end. Maybe you've just recently been diagnosed with a sickness, a chronic disease, estrangement, from a loved one. I want you to know that, that I've been in that situation that you may find yourself where you're asking, when will my comfort come? The question I posed at the beginning, what is the worst thing that's ever happened to you? This is how my wife and I would answer that question. Six years ago, Deborah and I received a phone call in the middle of the night. I knew immediately what this phone call meant. We were told by the doctor on the other line that we needed to rush to the hospital if we wanted to see our son one last time. Samuel Charles Amerson was born prematurely 
at 25 weeks in 2016. We had been encouraged greatly that for the first week and a half of his life, he was doing great. We had a lot of hope that with assistance from the NICU staff, he would continue to strengthen and that one day we could just take him home. From A few months later, we could take him home from the hospital. But that call in the middle of the night, it changed all that. We, were rushed, to the, we rushed to the hospital and we made it to the NICU. As soon as we got there, they quickly moved us to a separate room and they told us just to wait. So we waited there and we prayed. And then only a few minutes later, a nurse came in and she rushed us into Samuel's room. Then, literally seconds later, as we got in there, the doctor turned to us and said, there's nothing more that they could do. So Deborah and I was there as Samuel breathed his last the next three or four months were the, the darkest time of our lives, and, and we struggled to see God's goodness in that. Much of what happened those days were a blur, but one thing I can say is that the comfort we received from God through family and friends and from our church family was palpable. We were completely humbled by the outpouring of love from others. In the years since, Deborah has been blessed to be able to share some of that comfort we received from you all with other moms that have also had neonatal loss. Most recently, she was able to share her experience with Samuel with a mom support group at the hospital where she works. God's comfort to us has overflowed to others just as He promised it would. Remember, church family, that your comfort in suffering flows in and through Christ for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Romans eleven thirty six. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. You are adopted as a son, joint heirs with Christ. You will share in the same benefits as a son. You will share in the same comfort in this life, in this life or death. The very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, a 16th century catechism, asked this question. What is our only comfort in life and death? What is our only solace in life and death? The answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be saying this isn't my story. I don't have this assurance of comfort in my life. But you can. You can have that assurance. We talked about the source of comfort today. But I haven't mentioned the source of suffering. The Bible teaches us that all suffering stems from the fall, from original human sin, rebellion against God's good rule and reign. You must know that you bear that same sin guilt. And there's nothing you can do to remove the guilt yourself. But God put forward Christ to come into our world and to experience every type of suffering, to live a perfect life, to be our substitute, to be our sin and to die for us. Die on a cross in our place. And then He was buried and He rose again on the third day in victory over sin and death. And if you put your faith in that grace given to you in Christ, you can be set free from your misery and sin and your suffering. Having been justified by faith, you're able to receive comfort and to show gratitude and thankfulness to God for your salvation. So how do we make sense of suffering in the Christian life? How do we take solace? Solace literally means 
comfort in a time of distress. Remember, first, God is the source of all comfort. And that promise is itself a source of comfort. Second, we have solidarity and comfort. God comforts us not to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. Lastly, we share in the comfort of Christ to the same extent as the sufferings of Christ. And from that overflow, we are to share that comfort with others. Months after Vanitha's son Paul died, she shared a story. She shared Paul's story to a friend who was a musician. Her friend wrote a song entitled Held. And that song began with the story of Paul's life and death. In 2005, Natalie Grant recorded that song and released it to numerous awards and the song spread around the country, touching countless lives. And Vanitha, she received messages from people all over about how they had been impacted by that song. But nothing compares to the time she, uh, she witnessed that comfort firsthand. One particular day, Vanitha entered a local bagel shop for something to eat. The person making her order was extremely slow, and Vanitha got very annoyed. As the employee continued to prepare her order, over the radio came the song, Hell, recorded by Natalie. Vanitha, she just closed her eyes and she relaxed, and she repented of, of her annoyance and said, thank you, God, that you would once again bring me a small comfort from hearing this song. Something healing did come to her soul that had come out of her suffering of losing Paul. After a few moments, she looked up and she noticed that the employee had stopped preparing her, her order. And she looked and saw that he was actually crying. When he noticed her, he quickly apologized and explained that prior to that, a few months prior to that, his mom had died. And that song, Held, was the only thing that got him and his family through that situation. So the worker asked for permission for Vanitha, could he just sit and listen to the rest of that song? before he finished her order. And she said, of course, I love this song too. And the two of them stood there in silence, not caring about anyone who was around them. And the song finished playing. And when it was over, there were tears streaming down both of their faces. These tears were tears of hope, tears of solace, tears of redemption. Just like Paul was blessed to see in the Corinthians the way that God was using his sufferings to comfort them, Vanitha now knew, in a concrete way, how God was using her suffering to comfort others. She saw a fuller purpose of her suffering, and it was redemptive. It helped her see how God uses all of our suffering for others' joy and for His glory. Let me close this in prayer. Dear merciful Father, You are so good to us to comfort us in our time of need. God, we thank you for providing comfort in our lives in this way, most certainly in the gospel, most certainly in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you. And we thank you that you've used others in our life to comfort us when we're suffering. I pray that we will realize the promise of the source of comfort and that we will not let that comfort terminate on us, that we will use that comfort to comfort others Lord, we know that your word is true and we know the promises are true. 
and renew the power that works in us, the same power that raised Jesus, our Savior, from the dead. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.